This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. What's up, Southern California? It's that time of year again. San Diego Restaurant Week is featuring over 180 restaurants in eight days from January 20th to the 27th. Go to www.sandiegorestaurantweek.com, click the Restaurants tab, and select Vegan to view all participating restaurants with plant-based options. Lunch pricing starts at $10 and dinner at $20. And don't forget to tag at SD Restaurant Week, that's SD Restaurant, the letter W, and the letter K, on Instagram to share all of your amazing food photos. Hope to see you there. Welcome to Vibrant Raw Living. I'm your host, Victoria Madian. Join me on a journey of discovering your infinite potential. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I wanted to talk about something that's been trending a lot on social media, which is the 10-year challenge. A lot of people are seeing this meme, even engaging with this meme in regards to looking back on the past 10 years of their life. And I also wanted to talk about how technology's changed a lot within the past 10 years in regards to social media and how data is being tracked and what this may even mean for the future. My life's changed quite a bit over the past 10 years as well. I think, you know, when I look back 10 years ago, I was still, in regards to my health, doing a lot of seeking for answers. I was dealing with a lot of digestive stress, and I was dealing with a lot of different methods of trying to deal with it, trying a lot of different things. And I was just about to find yoga at this time 10 years ago and um, begin a practice with that and that really influenced my segue into raw foods since it was very complimentary for practicing hot yoga. It was very hydrating and, you know, really helped me stay on the path of beginning and maintaining a vegan lifestyle. Socially, I have to say it was fairly private with my life about 10 years ago, and I wasn't really super open about a lot of things. And, you know, I had several close friends that I really trusted, and now I feel as though I have a wide range of those friends due to social media most likely and you know that I really align with in a lot of different ways whether they be dancers or they're in the vegan community or they're just business people um or even you know work within the yoga realm just people that I've been inspired by or been able to connect with and you know I really am grateful for a lot of those close friends that I've had back then and that they're still in my life You know, when I began my yoga practice, which I did a separate episode on this, you know, I really was super, super disciplined about how much I would practice, usually one and a half to three hours a day. And it was a nice outlet because in my mind, I had kind of given up that I was going to continue to dance anymore, even though I was still working at a dance studio. And I had danced my whole life. So I kind of thought once I was heading into college that I wasn't really going to dance anymore. Because a lot of people at that time, it's it kind of wasn't really as popular 10 years ago or as needed or as wanted in society, I feel like, as it has evolved to be when it comes to dance. But it's just kind of interesting to see that, you know, I was just really focused on school at that time and how much I have actually done within the dance realm since then. I took like a break for two years 
really thinking, oh, this is it. This is the last time I'm ever going to compete, you know, when I was finishing out high school and stuff. And, you know, it's like since then I've competed in Latin ballroom when I was in college. I learned a load of different cultural styles of dance as well as social dances and have choreographed more routines than I can really count as well as thankfully won national awards for my choreography and even judged for a popular show Dance Moms on Lifetime. And, um, you know, Going back to veganism, you know, I'm seldom very vocal about my vegan lifestyle because it isn't really like my whole life. You know, I do feel like when I started out, I was watching a lot of documentaries and researching everything. And it was something that I was super vocal about to people around me in my life when I was starting out. And I was like, no, you shouldn't do this and stuff to my family. And, you know, certain things just didn't go over well. But I was really trying to separate and individuate from the past habits that I had. And that was kind of a process of doing that um, back in the day. So it's kind of interesting to see that that is something that has changed. I do feel like it's very much a part of my lifestyle now that it's been 10 years since then and I really don't see much need to vocalize it as much I just enjoy it and love the foods that I eat now and how it makes me feel and I definitely do enjoy talking about that with people since I'm very passionate about it but I think my approach to it is a little bit different than it was years ago and, you know, as well, I think it's definitely much easier to be vegan now than it was 10 years ago. And although I see people from time to time returning to the consumption of animal products that were once vegan, this is something that's really common. You know, I know it's not something that I'd want to entertain, you know, plus there's so many vegan options as far as burgers and pizzas, like different types of plant-based cheese or meats or you know, even major fast food chains we're seeing a lot now, even just this, within the last couple of years, chains like Taco Bell have like a fake meat. Chipotle has a, you know, the soy riso or the sofritas. Um, a McDonald's in Europe, I think it's either Sweden or Switzerland. I don't exactly remember, but one of the two um, started serving a vegan burger and even Carl's Jr. is now serving the... Um, the Beyond Burger and their stores and their locations and Einstein's offers a vegan or dairy alternative as far as their cream cheese. So it's been kind of cool to see that shift really take place because I know 10 years ago, as far as vegan mainstream, it, was, it wasn't really so mainstream. I feel like there's been a lot more juice places pop up, a lot more um, health food stores. There's more access to organic produce. And um, it's been really, really nice to see that shift over the past 10 years. You know, I'm currently eating 100% raw vegan, which gets definitely a little tricky sometimes because I do get cravings for things, which, you know, I usually stay the course as far as like eating the things that I know make me feel best because I know what makes me feel and really be able to function at my best. And it's not because I don't like certain other foods or I think other foods are bad, but it really is just, you know, along those lines, I don't feel like a failure if I changed my mind about not wanting to eat 100% raw. But, you know, at the same time, I'm really grateful for the vegan options that are available to bridge the gap of animal products being used in the traditional cultural recipes and there being more options to enjoy certain flavors if necessary. I know there's a lot of different places in the world that don't have access to meat. And there's a lot of people that 
in the world culturally eat a vegan or vegetarian lifestyle, not necessarily because they can't afford to eat meat, but it's just not viable. It doesn't make sense. And, you know, I think this is a really good step in the right direction as far as limiting the amount of processed actual cow meat there is. Because, I mean, when you look statistically, that is the largest contributor to methane gas, which is causing global warming factors for those of you who kind of like look into that aspect of it, it is a huge contributing factor to the deterioration of, you know, certain protective linings when it comes to atmospheric protection of the earth. So it is really important that that shift is being made. And when you have larger chains of fast food restaurants or something that are endorsing these things and, you know, these different kind of vegan companies are almost competing to get into these different fast food chains. I think that's a really, really positive thing to see. And it is really a step in the right direction because for most people, if they try eating the vegan alternative of stuff, it's not obviously it doesn't taste exactly the same, but you really do get a lot of the same texture and flavor and enjoyment out of the food just as much as you would when it comes to anything else. I really do enjoy shopping at specialty produce for the variety and quality. It's made being raw vegan absolutely exceptional, and I'm very, very grateful for that. It's just such an incredible resource that has provided so much, really, variety into my ability of what I'm able to eat because a lot of people, they're like, what do you eat as a raw vegan? And obviously, I've gone into that on previous episodes, but it's... There really is a lot to choose from, and for anybody who does not already have the Specialty Produce app, take a minute and download it and look at all the different produce items that are in there that grow all over the world. It's really, really amazing to see where not only so many different kinds of nutrients can come from, but what you see in the grocery stores is not all that there is. You know, this is the most kind of domesticated you know, available fruits and vegetables that you can find, but there's a lot more out there and I'm grateful to have been able to have tried a lot of it and um, kind of be open-minded to that. So that's something that honestly, 10 years ago, I never thought I would be vegan. I never, ever thought that that would be something that would become a part of my lifestyle. I also didn't think that I would begin a yoga practice. I always kind of thought, I was like, oh, Victoria, don't become one of those hippie people you know, like the vegans and doing the yoga and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I guess I went down that path, but I think it's not something that should be stigmatized as like all people or one way if they eat a certain way or they live a certain way or they engage in some type of a certain practice in their lifetime. It's, you know, something that I think a lot of people are open-minded to many different types of practices when it comes to growth in different areas of their life. And I think that's been a really positive shift within the last 10 years as well. So kind of taking a segue into the technological realm of things, you know, technology's really changed a lot in the past 20 years, um, but specifically a lot in the past 10 years. Uh, Facebook has recently put out a meme for the 10-year challenge, which really compares a profile picture from 10 years ago to a recent photo And, you know, in other words, thanks to this meme, there's now a very large amount of data set, you know, of carefully curated photos from people from roughly 10 years ago and now. 
So currently I am not on Facebook, which, you know, could change, but I haven't been on Facebook just because I haven't wanted to use mine and the barrage of notifications I was getting was really more than I cared for. You know, I know who I am without social media and, you know, as do the people that know me in my personal life. And to be honest, I really do value those connections, talking with people over the phone, catching up, etc. I think, uh, you know, it, it can be. I can be a little bit old school when it comes to those things. However, you know, I do have to say there have been times where I haven't been on social media and I miss, you know, major events that happen in people's lives because that's what they tend to share. Um, you know, certain people do open up about those things, you know, whether it be like major deaths or, you know, miss a birthday celebration post, a marriage, etc. So that's a bit of unfortunate at times, I, I will admit. But, you know, it does bring me to the point of saying how much of other people's you know, info is our business. And really, just because information is out there, just because these different things, even when it comes to looking at even the beauty industry, for example, just because there are a lot of different modifications that can be made or what what have you, um, uh, there's a lot of different products that can be bought. It doesn't mean that we have to engage with them. It doesn't mean that we have to go down the path of incorporating that into our lifestyle just because it exists. You know, I think at the end of the day, we're capable of making our own decisions about things. And the reality is there are business people and there are people out there that make our information their business. You know, it does bring me to the point of saying how much of other people's information is our business, but at the same time, how much of our info is data companies business and by business, I really mean business. Facial recognition software has been under quite a bit of scrutiny as of recent, and Mark Zuckerberg has even been put in on the spot a few times for this when it comes to negative PR regarding Facebook, because a lot of people are really sensitive about this. You know, it's that type of thing where you, if you upload a picture and there's certain people's faces in there, it'll automatically recognize who it is without you even having to tag the person. So this technology is really able to track how someone is aging as well and even potentially gauge for different factors like weight gain or other health signs or factors, you know, and there's been alleged rumors that this could be something that influenced the future of even insurance businesses that may see someone's particular aging markers progressing faster than others in their category and possibly be given modified type of coverage similar to actual health analytics, including things like blood work or urine samples. I think that's a little bit of a stretch when it comes into future projections of this data, but some people are speculating that that can be of concern. Now, there are some different proposed ways that that this technology could be used or is being used. Some are kind of reasonable, some are a little bit lackluster, and some could be even dangerous and a little bit sketchy. Now, I know many of my students have been on social media for quite some time. Some even have pictures of them in the womb or baby pictures on the internet, even from their parents' profiles as well, which I'm sure is a huge set of data points for these companies like Facebook to sell and seeing how the facial changes happen and all this type of stuff. You know, it can really help track people down if they are lost. There's been incidences where people have been lost and there are cameras that are able to track down people using security cameras. And this is something that has advanced in technology where that can be helpful in regards to a security measure per se. However, 
Many people feel like it's very intrusive and others believe it is a safety measure. But the large majority of people do feel like it's really intrusive and they're like, why do you need to know all this information about you? You know, and it does lead to the question of like, could people end up being tracked without even knowing You know, there are different security things that people can just even go on the Internet and track down people. You know, they used to use this kind of information for background checks on people when they were doing interviews or businesses and for businesses with people that were trying to interview for the company. They'd want to do a background check on them, check their security, where they live, like all these types of things. And there are a lot of ways that data gets sold to these types of companies so that a thorough background check can be conducted um, depending on a person's security clearance, even when it comes to a level of government. So, you know, but as we know, a lot of people's certain parts of our information like can be leaked sometimes unless you really stay on top of it. And we never really know what's going on behind the scenes when it comes to that stuff, you know, and arguably like advertising has become a lot more relevant for most people. And it's almost a little bit alarming. Most sites use an advertising model in order to keep up services like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, even Amazon or Amazon Prime in regards to services being free. And this is mainly borrowed from the mainstream television model in regards to shows being played, sports programs being played, and then major advertisers being able to buy ad time during gaps or, you know, commercial breaks and stuff in order to, you know, supply those people with money. And same thing happens on YouTube. You know, a lot of major YouTubers, they'll insert ads throughout their video and they make AdSense money off of that. So this is not something that's necessarily new, but all these different points of data, depending on what you're looking at, can influence how you're advertised to. Now, data can be taken from people's interests and types of things that they hit on the like button, whatever they post about, or et cetera, you know, and this information gets sold to different companies for marketing and advertising purposes. Some of these sites even use cookies or apps allow, um, you know, if you download certain apps, then you may be forced, you know, when we look at Pokemon Go, this was a major app that gathered a lot of data points because you had to agree to letting this app know where your location was. And um, that was a pretty big shift. I think 10 years ago, this would have seemed like a huge invasion of privacy and people would be like, why do you need to know where I am? Like, I think it would have seemed very um, out there, but a lot of people just accepted it because they've kind of been going down this path of becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, giving certain data points or really engaging with social media in such a way where there are certain things you just have to agree to in order to engage with that medium. So, you know, a lot of companies use this information for marketing purposes. And when these apps are even closed out, some of these are still gathering information on your location Um, what other types of sites you're searching. And this data eventually flows downstream in such a way that it becomes enmeshed with our location tracking, response and purchase behavior, and other signals. You know, if you have an email account that's linked to something like, you know, your PayPal or you're making purchases there and it's also linked to your Amazon stuff, 
you know, potentially, allegedly, there can be some some links behind that in regards to um, gathering data as far as what people are buying. And, you know, it can lead to other signals and it could also bring about some genuinely creepy situations when it comes to data collection. You know, there's something that's been under scrutiny, again, going back to Amazon is back in 2016 when they introduced real-time facial recognition services. And this was sold mainly to law enforcement and government agencies such as, um, at the time, the Orlando and Washington police departments. This particular technology raises major privacy concerns, and it did raise them. You know, we saw this with Edward Snowden and the details he shared regards to personal online security years ago. And, you know, I think he's still in asylum somewhere in Russia or somewhere in Europe because there's really a price on his head if he comes back to the United States. Um, From what I recall, you know, the police could typically or could potentially use this technology not necessarily to track people who are suspected of having committed crimes, but also people who are not committing crimes, such as protesters and other people whom the police deem a nuisance, you know, which basically means that they could really track anyone. And that could be sketchy if it got into the wrong hands. And some people would agree that it is already in the wrong hands and that this shouldn't be happening. There's always kind of an offset when it comes to these types of things. Now, since then, the American Civil Liberties Union asked Amazon to stop selling this service you know, to outside proprietary people that wanted to buy this data. So did a portion of Amazon's shareholders and employees who asked the company to halt the service, noting concerns for the public's valuation and reputation in the public sector. This really is an interesting look at the fullness of how technology stands to impact humanity. You know, there are a lot of opportunities for us to make this better and more secure. But just like anything, we also must recognize that there are ways in which it gets worse, riskier, and potentially even dangerous. You know, once we understand the issues, it's really up to all of us to weigh in and make the decisions that we want to as far as how we choose to consciously consume social media and engage with it. You know, at the end of the day, humans really are the richest data source when it comes to technology in the emerging world. You know, we should know this and proceed with a lot of due diligence and sophistication. If you don't want to be receiving receiving notifications all the time, if you don't want certain apps tracking all of your data for years, like, you know, just really look into it and make sure that's not something that's happening because it can flu- influence like the in the future of how you engage with these things, you know, and as well with artificial at- intelligence, it's being deemed to replace 40% of jobs in the future, which is definitely a significant factor when it comes to employment and things of this nature. And there's no doubt that all these data points are really and analytics are informing that. You know, even when it comes to things like, you know, we look at website development back in the day, it used to be very lucrative for people that were building websites and had a lot of customization, a lot of knowledge and knew how to write code. And I do believe that writing code is still a very valuable skill to be able to have. However, I think that down the line, it, you know, could be easier to build things like apps. It could be easier to customize certain things like that. I don't really know 
um, what other things could be affected by this. But I think some of the things that I've researched have been within the insurance field, within the financial fields. You know, this is not necessarily something that is going to need a third party to take care of it. It really is going to be basically like using technology exclusively to be able to take care of certain even investments, if that's something people want to do. And it does kind of take out the middleman. And this is something that is perceived to be on the rise when it comes to these realms. And it's going to be interesting to see how that um, takes place. You know, humans really are the connective link between the physical and the digital worlds. If we're not posting on social media, if we're not posting you know, pictures and videos and commentary and, you know, tweeting and all these types of things on social media, then it really does cease to exist. Humans are really that main link and human interactions are the majority of what makes the internet of things interesting. You know, our posts of our culture, our different dance challenges and things, you know, I think our data can be something that it does, again, like kind of connect us in a deeper level and even, you know, these different things like we saw last year in 2018, the In My Feelings Challenge was super popular. And like even years before that, we've seen like Gangnam Style back in what was it like 2011, 2012 around that time. You know, these are things that become like viral and they connect people and it does uplift and like bring a lot of positivity and is a spread of culture and There's a lot of other ways that, you know, the internet connects people in a really amazing way and raises awareness about issues that never really would have had a voice years ago. You know, I know that when I was looking into learning more about veganism and especially raw foods, that the internet and social media was a huge part of being able to connect with other people and learn more about how to do this. And it became integral in my ability to maintain that aspect of my lifestyle. So, you know, I think that obviously there are a lot of positives to being able to use these services and it can really lead to our expansion and our growth and learning so much more about life, etc. But there are these different things that kind of make it a little bit tricky to navigate. There's, It's tricky to you know, go on a website where you want to read something and not have to engage with them putting cookies in your phone type of thing. So, you know, our data is the fuel that makes businesses smarter and more profitable. Being even an influencer or a brand endorser has also become really lucrative and appealing to younger generation who is constantly consuming images of all sorts and being really heavily influenced into seeking external validation as a form of recognition and acceptance by their peers and society at large, you know, and I think um, this is something where we see a lot of younger people using social media as a tool, as a very lucrative tool to be making millions and millions of dollars a year for some of them, you know, teenagers. So this is something that has become very lucrative for people and, um, that is something I don't think we were seeing 10 years ago, for sure. Uh, there may have been some people on the internet that were making that much, but I really, really doubt it was, you know, to the extent that it is now. And I know many um, young influencers or even young teens 
a lot of them are thinking, oh, yeah, I just want to do YouTube. I don't necessarily want to pursue college or get a job or anything. Like they just really want to be on social media and that's what they're consuming a lot of. And at the same time, there's being a lot of gathered data on their interests, on their type of uh, behaviors, the type of people that they follow, what they're interested in. And, you know, there was a movie with Tom Cruise called The Minority Report years ago that kind of alluded to this being foreshadowed in advertising. And I remember he was walking into a mall and it would like scan his retina and there would be an advertising display and it would pop up with an ad that was something that would pertain to him. Whereas if a woman walked in and was like showing something like shoes or perfume or something like that. So it was really marketing towards people's interests. And that's a movie that I believe came out in the 2000s. So this is kind of one of those things where sci-fi or these types of movies, they actually become relevant in our culture and relevant issues that we maybe would have thought back in the day were pretty out there, but they are really a part of our lives now. And, um, you know, I think especially with so many teens being on social media, it has been linked, you know, allegedly contributed to, but not necessarily been a source of direct causation to a considerable spike in rates of teen anxiety, depression, and even suicide rates. You know, quoting Mark Zuckerberg, the question isn't what we want to know about people. It's what do people want to tell about themselves? And this was a quote that he gave from a November 2011 interview with Charlie Rose. You know, we often see people showing us their stage moments or the highlights of their lives, but even others use the platforms of social media to discuss topics that they're passionate about. Some people just ramble their thoughts. You know, oftentimes, even when you look in psychology, when someone's speaking about something or someone's speaking to you or engaging with you, then it is seen as um, kind of like not necessarily a cry for attention, but it is a person wanting to receive attention. So this can be interesting in regards to you know, what people discuss online can even create more of a judgeable data analysis in regards to their character and give a different layer of insight into the inner workings of their mind. You know, I think years ago, people weren't necessarily spewing all this information, like it very sometimes very personal details about their life or what they're going through. It's like you save that for a journal entry, you talk to somebody about that, or some people would even argue you just like bottle it up and move on, you know, but some people do use these platforms as a way to get attention about things. And I think even in contemporary society, when we look at um, current President Trump, who uses Twitter as a main platform and is very vocal and very outspoken on it in regards to a lot of the things that he says, which can be very conflicting for people to be like, why is he saying this? And, you know, it, it can bother a lot of people. Some people agree with it, you know, but it is something that is used a lot for now. Even the president of the United States is on Twitter. I feel like 10 years ago, that really would be kind of, I don't know, almost seen as inappropriate or kind of strange. But it is so enmeshed into our society that it is so relevant in that way that even major 
you know, political figures, major celebrities, major notable people are offering us different insight into our lot in their lives that they never would have shared and were able to connect with people in ways that we never were able to do before um which is kind of interesting and i think there has been some speculation in regards to favoritism or certain people receiving different um certain types of privilege because of either their appearance or their amount of followers. You know, I think there are certain times where I'll notice on a post that if people are verified, they have the verified, um, you know, check mark, blue check mark by their name and stuff, that those comments will pop up first in someone's commentary feed. So there can be some speculation about that and people kind of saying, oh, it's like, you know, certain amount of privilege that people are getting. Um, on social media and how is that affecting things because there's algorithms that will push those comments to the top whereas some other things might be kind of on the bottom and you know I think people who even have strong political beliefs about certain things might say that that is kind of prejudice in some way I don't really want to get into it too much but I'm just offering that as a point of you know, the technology is even creating sort of a hierarchy of how many likes a person gets, how many followers a person has, and really being a status symbol in regards to their relevance. Whereas 10 years ago, I think you could have somebody who's has a lot of relevance in society, who has um, maybe not that much of a following, or it was something that was not as, I guess, embraced in regards to using social media, that that wouldn't be as much of an issue. But now we're seeing influencers in regards to people that use a lot of social media being invited to the front row at fashion shows. They're being invited to act on major television network specials or they're invited to be in movies because of their social media presence and because of the amount of engagement they have. Advertisers and different companies are utilizing this because they know that based on the data the data and the analytics that this is something that they can utilize to their advantage and more people are going to be looking at their product or their service because this person has a certain degree of clout and they're going to use that to their advantage. You know, 10 years ago, I don't really think we saw much of this. It was mainly people that were kind of hand-selected within a very specific industry by casting directors and people that were in the production end of things that were kind of hand selecting and choosing and auditioning and all of that for people. And there was a little bit more of a curated and careful consideration in regards to who was going to be chosen to go into what field when it came to news delivery. There was also a lot of specific choice when it came to certain people that were going to deliver the news. So now it's like with YouTube, with social media, people can be offering their opinion on whatever they want to offer it on. And there's not much to really restrain people from that. And at the same time, I think people could argue that there wasn't as much hate on the internet back in the day. That could be arguable. I mean, I think there was always a lot of, you know, Um, As soon as really platforms opened up the ability to reply to certain articles or leave a comment or an opinion about that, that people were very vocal about 
whatever they wanted to say. And I don't think that that's anything that's changed, but this has been even something that has influenced people's psychological state. You know, people, YouTubers talk about this when they get a lot of hate online from, you know, quote unquote trolls or haters that it it can affect people and it can almost make them want to stop doing something. Whereas in real life, I think you don't get as many people coming up to you and, you know, saying those kinds of things to your face, depending on whatever line of work you work in, you know, and it kind of offered this other way for people to be really hateful as well, which is kind of sad to see. So I think that that is also something to be conscious of and knowing that a lot of this information is tracked. So some people don't really care about that. Some people may have a little bit more of a concern about it. You know, although I understand that this opinion of mine kind of I'm trying to be as encompassing as possible and really take a lot of different perspectives into account here because I really do understand that a lot of people it does kind of feel a little bit cynical, honestly, from even listening to myself, but and and very questioning. You know, I really do believe that the internet is a you know, and social media are incredible in regards to cultivating connections and You know, we see this all the time. We see it every day when we're able to be inspired by somebody else's post or, you know, educated about something that we maybe would have never thought about in a certain way. You know, there's there's a lot of ways in which it can be positive. I think the dark side to it or the perceived dark side of it is that there is a lot of ways that we are. In a sense, some people could speculate being taken advantage of. But it it almost comes along with using these realms and it gets a little bit difficult to navigate because if you do want to have a presence on social media, it's almost something that you just have to deal with. And there's not really much of a question about it. But I think there are ways I know that you can limit the amount of ads you see. You can limit the amount of data that's shared. You can edit the privacy of what you post and um, who sees it and all those types of things. So... I think there's ways to be conscious about using certain types of media, types of technology so that you feel safe and comfortable in your skin, but at the same time, we're still able to engage with it and really grow and progress as well, because I think there's a lot of ways that the internet and social media has has accelerated that growth within our society, kind of in a balanced way, either for good and, you know, and or for bad, um, all a matter of perception at at really at the end of the day when it comes to these matters. So, you know, I think that at the end of the day, we really do need to be wary and conscious in regards to what we consume online. And these things really can be used as an enjoyed source of connection, but you may want to evaluate what you engage with and look into how this has changed over the years and just make your own opinion about what you want to do as far as engaging with it. So those are my thoughts on this topic. I think that over the past 10 years, there's been a lot of positive change in my life and in the lives of people that I've known. And, you know, I really am interested to see what the next 10 years hold for you know, technology for different habits and behaviors. It's it's changed so rapidly over the past 10 years, and it's going to be really interesting to see how things continue to progress. 
Thank you for tuning in to Vibrant Raw Living. Remember that you are just as worthy, deserving, and capable of achieving and maintaining your dreams as much as anyone else. If you have found this podcast useful, please subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with your friends and family. You can find links to my Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, and Snapchat in the show notes below. And if you'd like to follow me for updates, which I only share via email, come on over to my website at victoriamadian.com. I love you and I'm wishing you a wonderful day. Go out there and discover your infinite potential. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.